Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. This book is a unique Bible study. It's titled Bible and Battlefield, Seven Lessons from the Civil War for Our Christian Faith Today, Book One. It's written by Amanda J. Lucas, and Amanda is right here with me now, and we get to talk all about this book. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So I love the take that you're doing on this Bible study, Amanda. Can you tell me all about Bible and Battlefield? Yeah, absolutely. This book is a bit of a funny story. It was something that was born out of the COVID pandemic when my church, my home church, was doing video devotionals. And I wanted to create something that could take people somewhere where they couldn't get to at the time. And the more I did them, the more we, I was being encouraged to write the book. So what it does is it combines my passion for the Civil War and history with teaching God's Word. And it it ties in a person, a place, an event from the Civil War with something that we can apply to our life today. It's something I always wanted to teach and couldn't find it. So I decided I'm just going to do it myself. (laughs) I love it. Did this take you a long time to do, Amanda? I imagine there was a lot of research and things like that involved. You know, there was quite a bit of research. And I'll admit that I'm a bit of a bibliophile when it comes to Civil War literature and memoirs. So I had so much of it already in mind. But it did take, you know, a number of months to really get it done. But I had a head start due to the ministry we were already doing through my home church. Mm. So it does definitely take time. And the research is the longest part, but also some of the most fun. (laughs) Is this your first venture then into the arena of writing and publishing? Or have you done this kind of thing before? No, this is my very first book. I'm hoping the first of many. Hmm. And yeah, it was just something that God laid on my heart that I needed to jump into, and I'm so glad I did. Hmm, So am I. Now, this is book one. Do you have the series planned out? Do you know how many it's going to go, or are you just going to keep working on them? Yeah, you know, and that's kind of the beauty of the title. Bible and Battlefield is starting with the Civil War, and I think I should have at least a few more volumes as far as the Civil War goes, but then it does leave it open to pivot to something else, say World War II or the Revolutionary War. And it's just, like I said, it it does keep it wide open, but I am definitely at least planning for the Civil War books to be a few more at least. Wonderful. And there's nothing like getting that finished product. You know, what was it like for you, Amanda, when you got that first physical copy of this book in? I imagine you'd just been looking at it up on the computer screen for all those months. Precisely, yeah. And, you know, having worked so closely with my publisher, Covenant Books, I had seen it. I knew what it was going to look like. But when the, you know, the box finally arrived, you open it up and here is a stack of your books (laughs) (laughs) that you made it. I mean, you did it. And it was so exciting, but it was also a bit of a relief as I had an event coming up that week that I needed them for. (laughs) So there was relief and definite excitement. Mm. Now, when you think about now you're a published author, Amanda, what's the most rewarding thing for you about that? You know, I think... I would say the support that I've received, not only from my friends and family, but people that I have met who have you know, purchased the book at a signing and just the general support in their own excitement. Mm. 
it was a part of the process I hadn't really thought about is how would people react having read it and received it and whatnot. And I, I think that's been one of the more amazing things about it is just how excited everybody else has been as well. It's really been a blessing. Wonderful. Well, doing this kind of thing for the first time can be quite the learning experience. I'm sure you're yes. quite aware of that, Amanda. <laughs> so, Very much. <laughs> do you have any advice that you could offer to people who are also just starting out in this thing? Yeah, you know, I do. And it's something I've given some thought to myself is, you know, what did I wish I had known or should I have done it sooner? And that's what, you know, what I would tell a would-be author would be, just do it. Mm. You can sit, you know, you sit there with the idea mulling in your head and you're jotting notes and putting together a manuscript and then you sit on it. It's like, is it ready? Is it ready? Just go for it. Don't wait anymore. If you're feeling that call to do it, just do it. Mm. That's great advice, Amanda. Well, this book brings the Bible and history together. I love it, and I think a lot of readers are going to love it as well and ought to check this one out. It's called Bible and Battlefield, Seven Lessons from the Civil War for Our Christian Faith Today, Book One. It's written by Amanda J. Lucas. It's published by Covenant Books, and you can get this one everywhere, of course, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Amanda, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me about Bible and Battlefield. I had a really nice time talking with you tonight. Absolutely, Corey. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Returning to the Reader House Author Roundtable is author C.L. Black, Jr. C.L., thanks for joining me here again. Oh, I'm just happy you could have me. Trust me. I'm really happy that you could make it back. You have another book out. It's called Preservation of Sanity. Congratulations. It's such a big deal to write and publish a book. So, CL, what's Preservation of Sanity all about? It's basically a book that revolves around keeping yourself where you need to be pretty much most of the time, which is like having your sanity as one of your best friends, basically. And what sparked you to write this? I know I saw the title of this, Preservation of Sanity, and I'm like, yeah, at times I really feel like I need this book. So what gave you the idea for this one? The world around me. Mm. <laughs> Everywhere I go, it just seems like I look at the glass half full, but it seems like the world's gone mad. <laughs> mm. So I felt compelled to do something that I thought would be helpful for anyone out there, whether you're going through adverse conditions, circumstances out of your control. To preserve, you know, your sanity is probably the most important thing you can do because obviously that equates to your happiness. About how long did it take you to write this one and publish this one? Was it quicker than the first time around? Actually, this is my third book now. So like after, I think the last time we did Reader's House, it was like having my fundamental rules for Kindergarten 101. Mm -hmm. And then my next 24 came out almost simultaneously. Hmm. And this is the third book, Preservation of Sanity. But all of them usually take about three to four months to actually write the short read for that reason. Because, you know, anytime you're talking about serious stuff like self-accountability, mm. <laughs> You lose people. So, you know, an hour and a half read or so is about probably perfect for that. And, and it's more along the lines of a reference tool also. It's not like a read that you would just, you know, all of a sudden, you, oh, I got it. You know, it's kind of mm. like something that you could refer to at certain times. And, you know, it's just different ways to look at attacking the things that can actually hinder your happiness. You know, like, how can I maintain a certain level of sanity that was just going to equate to my quality of life? Hmm. Well, that's fantastic. You got three books out now. Are you thinking about a fourth or a fifth or more than that? Yeah, actually, my fourth book is called A 
Ascendancy, and that's actually, it's actually a cover design right now. And my Mm -hmm. fifth one is called Welcome Adversity. It's still in the editing process. It's getting ready to go to page design. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I've been a busy man, Corey. (laughs) Yeah, sure sounds like it. You know, you mentioned cover design, and that's something a lot of new authors don't think about right away. They think, I have to write the words. I got to get the words on the page. But you also have to figure out what the book's going to look like. How important is that cover design to you? How much thought do you put into that? That's a very good question. And I think, you know, for anyone out there that's thinking about getting into writing, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? Mm. Is that what they say? Absolutely. (laughs) So if you're walking or you're looking online, whatever, if you see a book and it's not really appealing from a cover standpoint, you might not ever even get into the content. So I I think it's extremely important. The more that I've gotten involved with the process, the more I've paid attention to detail with that. And every cover that I've done has gotten better. And and Fulton, my publisher, they do a great job with that. And I think my best advice is if you're not comfortable with it, keep coming up with ideas until you get something that really kind of hits home. Like if you were walking down the aisle, if you were looking online to see your book, you know, what kind of impression would it make on you? Well, CL, after publishing a few books here, does that moment when you get that physical copy in for the first time, does that ever get old for you? No, getting that tangible book is always nice, but it's knowing that it's potentially going to help someone is really where where I get the gratification. Mm. Well, it is a crazy world, and I think a lot of us are going to find that we'll benefit from this book. It's called Preservation of Sanity. It's written by C.L. Black Jr. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can get it everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, C.L., it's been great having you back on the show. I hope we get to do it again a third time. Definitely, Corey. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'd like to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Bon Kay. She's got a new book out. Mr. McTavish goes to the community park. This is book three of three in the series. Bonnie, thank you for being here again with me. Thank you, Corey. I'm glad to be back. It is great to have you here. So, like I said, this is book three of the Mr. McTavish series. So before we get into this one specifically, can you just maybe catch our listeners up a little bit on the series itself and Mr. McTavish? Yes. Mr. McTavish actually used to be my dog back in 2017. I had an experience with a group from DonorsChoose.org online that would catch up and look for money for teachers all over the United States to fulfill some of the needs that they had in their classrooms that they couldn't get from budgets and from their own pocket, of course. Mm. And this organization would get them money, and they sent me some letter about a teacher that was in my old hometown area who was looking for some money for a charging cart for her students in first and second grade that they could charge their iPads overnight because they couldn't take them home and they were trying to race around every night looking for outlets to plug them into. Mm. And I decided to give her the money, and she sent me a really nice thank you letter through the website. And about six months later, I received a packet of over 50 thank you handmade notes from these kids. They were like first and second grade. It was really, really wonderful to have that experience with them. And I sent back a picture standing in front of all these spread out in my hands. (laughs) And I decided that someday I'd hope to get to to meet her and see some of her classrooms and stuff like that and take my dog, McTavish, with me on the trip. 
Then my pet dog unfortunately passed away. It was older dog. And I decided when the pandemic hit, I was sitting around thinking, would be a nice time to have a new character for children that they could love. And you know, you always love dogs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that we would take Mr. McTavish because the kids always like to have some sort of a to know some people that are Ms., Mr., or Mrs. to show respect to them. Mm. So we thought we'd do a Mr. McTavish and take him on these trips. The first one was to the library, which happened to be the elementary library of this school that I sent the money for the iPad charger, and these children and teachers wanted to thank us for it. So we had an experience. It was really fun to do that, to write about the dog that I loved and also have an experience with kids. We wanted to make it an experience with kids every time we do a book. Mm. Mr. McTavish has been on a lot of adventures. This time he goes to the community park. So tell me about this tale. Yes, the latest one that I have, they're all standalone books, but they all have Mr. McTavish going somewhere with Gma, which is his owner's name. And we have this specific park in our area that our dog likes to go with me to uh, visit. And it had some wonderful things for kids and adults to do where they had a stream that they could wade in in the summer heat. And there was an old small drawbridge that you could go around over, a covered bridge that they could walk over. Mm. They had uh, areas that the kids could play in. They had a special area for younger children. They had picnic areas and they had a ball field and they had their restrooms and everything, but they didn't have a goodie bar. There was nowhere that anybody could go to get anything. They had to bring everything themselves. And you know how trash gets to hang around. Mm. So I decided that this little park needed to have a story about having a goodie bar built. And then we also had it dedicated to Mr. McTavish. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, bon, this is book three in the series. Like I said, do these get easier for you? Do you find yourself getting faster as you went? Well, actually... It depends. I have another book in my head. I've had it outlined and stuff like that. And you have to find the time, though. There's certain seasons that get a little bit busier for mm. me. So the next one will probably be out towards the end of this year. And it's going to be all about a bitch. That's all I'm going to say right now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think readers everywhere are going to love seeing what Mr. McTavish is doing next here in this book. It's titled, Mr. McTavish Goes to the Community Park, book three of three of the series. This is written by Bon Kay. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can get this everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Bonnie, it's been wonderful talking with you again here on the show. I can't wait till we can do this again. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, Corey, later this year, okay? All right. All right. Epiphany Through Songs. It's the new book. It's written by Randall J. Ruska. And Randy is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we get to chat all about the book. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate being here. It's my pleasure to have you here. Randy, can you tell me all about what readers can expect when they open up Epiphany through songs? Well, they can expect to hopefully be inspired and be able to come away with some new philosophies and different ideas about who and maybe what, what God is. Hmm. Randy, what kinds of readers were you thinking about whenever you're writing this? Who were your target readers? Well, most of the target readers is pretty much everybody. I use songs from uh, 22 different songs from different musical genres, and songs are coming from 1961 to 2003. So I try to cover a wide range of songs and a wide type of songs. 
anybody that has a denominational background is good, but not at all necessary. And what is encouraged or what I'm hoping that people will open up the book with is to new ideas and new philosophies and orders to help them change their relationship with God and their other loved ones. Randy, you got to tell me, how did you come up with the idea for this? What inspired you to write it? Well, as personal life experiences that songs talk to me at different points in my life and at different phases and different challenges that I was going through. That's what inspired me to write the book. Some of the examples that I lived through was it was a time in my life when I was having a hard time dealing with pain and, and suffering. And the song by Carly Simon, I Haven't Got Time for the Pain, really changed my heart and mind on, on how I looked and dealt with pain. Mm. There was another song in the book by James Taylor. The name of the song is Shower the People. And that helped me deal with forgiveness in my life, how to forgive family members and friends. And it just changed that part of my life. Hmm. Another song was The Rose that was sung by Conway Twitty. It really showed the tenderness and strength of love. And yet that when a person is in love or loves, they're also very vulnerable. And the last song is by Art Garfunkel, and this is one of the few songs that Simon Garfunkel didn't write or had anything to do with, but <laughs> the song was actually sung by Art Garfunkel, Bright Eyes, and it transformed how I dealt with pain and how I deal with the death of my father at the time. Wow. Randy, what is it about music to you that can be so healing and has such a spiritual element to it? Well, because it's so, it's so simple, and I don't know of anybody that some type of music doesn't speak to. Mm. And you can listen to it every day of your life, all day long. You don't have to be in any place, go any place, be in any special mood, dress up, be in any concrete, more building. You just have to be available and be open to what the music has to present to you. Mm, well said. Randy, have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing or being published? No, this is my first book, my first attempt. No, I have no, no writing experience, no educational background. I have no musical background. I can't hold or sing a tune. <laughs> well, a lot of people listening are just like you were. They're just starting out. They've never written a book before. Uh, do you have any words of wisdom, any advice of things you might have learned along the way that you could pass on? Well... You know, I would suggest anybody that it's going to take some time not to be discouraged. This book actually took me seven years to write. And, you know, a first-time writer is going to go through dry spells, cold spells. At times, they're not going to have the energy or inspiration to write. And that's okay. Just be patient. Don't force the issues. Let the words come. And when the time is right, you'll know it and you'll be inspired. Well, that's great advice, Randy. For you now, what is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author? Well, I'm hoping that I can help people along the way. I hope to get and get out of the book what I try to put into it when I wrote it. Well, music is a universal language, and I know a lot of people are going to be into this book. It's titled Epiphany Through Songs. It's written by Randall J. Hruska, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Randy, thank you again for joining me tonight and telling me all about this book. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
Joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Linda Carpenter. Linda, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. Congratulations on having a new book out in stores. It's called A Short Tale, The Adventures of Sirius the Arabian. So, Linda, what's this book all about? Can you tell me about it? Well, Sirius the Arabian is a real Arabian show horse whose grandfather was very famous named Kimosabi, and that's kind of the basis to start the story. I have Sirius only because his tail is too short to win any shows. Mm. So that's what happens in the book. Although it's his mother and all of his family, they're sure he's going to be a champion. His tail just never grows in. So part of the adventure is that. And you know how really kind of shallow that is. They have to have a long tail. And it talks a little bit about horse training, but really there's magic to this story. Kimosabi was so famous that there was a comic strip written about him. Oh, wow. And his breeder, her name was Ruth. So in the comic book, Ruth is his red-haired assistant, and they go around fighting for truth and justice the Arabian way. So when I saw that, that also had to become part of the story. <laughs> And the fact that in the comic strip, the Lone Ranger gives Kimosabi, the horse, of course, his mask, a kind of mask, because it's a horse-sized mask. So, of course, I had to explain to kids who, you know, the Lone Ranger was Mm. and (laughs) why he had a mask and who Kimosabi was. So that kind of jumps the story off, but it evolved into the magic helping Sirius help the black-footed ferrets be prevented from going extinct. Hmm. And that just popped into the story. I'm really a producer of educational materials and private companies' profile pieces. So I've always done reality. So it was so fun to really write it just making stuff up. And one Sunday afternoon, Mama Ferret, pregnant, and her two teenage kits showed up in the story. And then she became a major player because she ends up getting shot. I don't want to give too much of the story away, but here in Arizona, The Phoenix Zoo is one of 10 in the world that are involved in breeding black-footed ferrets to put them back in the wild. Hmm. So there used to be millions of them, and now there's only 300 estimated in the wild in the North American continent. So in the story, you know, it's really a chapter book for middle grades, but I think that, you know, all my friends are reading it and they're loving it. So I think it's probably for a lot of different audiences, but the prairie dogs and the ferrets are interdependent and prairie dogs feed more animals. They're called a cornerstone species because if they fall, so they're a big part of the story also. One ferret eats 100 prairie dogs a year to survive. Hence, as the prairie dogs disappear, the ferrets have disappeared. So that's the main part of the story. And then there's all these desert animals, old hortense, the desert tortoise, and Diana, the diamondback rattlesnake. And there's a coyote and a rabbit and some hawks <laughs> and Roseanne, the roadrunner. And they all work together with a couple of humans to save a particular place where the prairie dogs were going to be destroyed. And nobody really knows yet that the ferrets are there. And this is the story of how they help save them. So it was wonderful to develop, came from all different sources of reality, really. Yeah. Made into like there's a TV show, educational TV show in the book, because that's what I did all my life. And I actually wrote it as a screenplay for my graduate degree. Hmm. So have you ever done anything like this before? Have you ever written a book or anything like this before this? Well, I've done a lot of writing of video and, you know, brochures and things for cities. I once wrote a campaign against an incinerator in Monmouth County, New Jersey, and we beat out Westinghouse. 
So I, I've done a lot of different things. I, I did a lot of horse racing programming. I actually have a couple of ACE awards from that. I was lucky enough to be at Mama's Park where all the champions come after the Triple Crown races, and I got to do stories on all of them. Well, I know a lot of readers are really going to enjoy this book and should check it out. It's called A Short Tale, The Adventures of Sirius the Arabian. And that's P-A-I-L, just so they know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. This is written by Linda Carpenter and is published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can grab it up everywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also down the street at your local bookshop. Well, Linda, it's been delightful having you on the show here. Thank you so much for coming on and telling me all about Sirius, and I hope we get to do this again sometime. Me too. I'll have to write another book. Thank you. From the biggest book of Bible stories, The Magnificent Seven Series. It's a new book. It's in stores right now, written by Devery McDowell. And Devery is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we get to chat all about this book. Devery, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. Devery, can you tell me what readers can expect when they open up from the biggest book of Bible stories? Well, just some classic Bible stories that are written for us to enjoy, you know, that, that we've all heard about. I just to relive them and read them and enjoy them. Hmm. What gave you the idea to do this? I'm going to be real with you. When I turned 40, I went to jail. And at 6 o'clock, the daily bread. And after daily bread, see, I, I've been writing poetry for years. And after Daily Bread, I, I, I would do a poem, and a guy named Ernest Hovey put me to the side, hey, you know, those would be very, very good children's stories. And I said, hmm, and ever since then, I've been wanting to do it. So then this is a book you'd say is best for children then? Yeah, between 8 to 12. Devery, have you ever done anything like this before? Have you ever published? Have you ever written a book or anything like that? I had written one called The Presentation, like around 2013, but I never got it published or submitted the manuscript to anybody. Until just recently, it's been approved. Wonderful. So once you sat down, decided to start writing this book, and then clear up until the time it got published, Devery, about how long of a process was that? To sit down and write The Magnificent Seven, it took about two months. To publish it, about a year and a half, two years. So what was it like then for you, Devery, the moment that you finally got the first physical copy of this in? You finally got to hold this thing you've been working on for so long. I was like, wow, you know how many kids are going to read my stories? So for you, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of now being a published author? I would say to myself that I could do it. I didn't think I could. I'm, I'm still pitching myself. I can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> so you think you'll be writing more after this. Is this along the lines of this book, the biggest book of the Bible stories, or are you doing something a little differently? No, same thing, same format. The next children's book has already been approved for publication from the biggest book of Bible stories, Jesus. The Magnificent Seven series. I, I, I did all the miracles. I did like seven miracles. Oh, wow. Now I'm working on, from the biggest book of Bible stories, Magnificent Tales from the Old Testament series. And I just finished Jacob Wrestles with God. Cast into the Den, Ruth and Naomi, and Jacob Wrestles with God. And uh, I'm about to write the next story now. Devery, do you ever get anything like writer's block when you sit down to write something? You just don't know what to write next? Kind of. Okay. The way I do it, I, after I pick a story, then I go to Bible Gateway and let Max McLean read it to me. I read it, you know, then I go see what Billy Graham had to say about it. Hmm. I love his vernacular. And then I just follow the cue on, on YouTube. And, and, and uh, then I look at all the old Flemish paintings and the pictures of the story that I'm trying to do, you know, just let it soak in and marinate. And then when I sit down, boop, it pops out. 
Devery, a lot of people listening to us right now are authors who are just starting out. You know, they're where you were, you know, right before you wrote and published this one. So do you have any advice that you could give them to get them started off on the right foot? Never give up on your dreams. Hone your craft. When I was first trying to get into it, you know, I, I was looking all the horror stories about don't ever give up, you know, and keep plugging along. Hey, don't ever give up on your dreams. You can get there. You're talking about how you had some inspiration, some help along the way while you were writing this. Were there other people around you who were knowing you were doing this and they could be there to encourage you, maybe motivate you? There was a couple of people that believed in me, you know, and said, you know, man, you can do it, man. It's going to turn out real great, you know. And uh, uh, those are my friends to the day. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, to give me support, you know, I really appreciate that. You were also talking about a routine to writing, you know, you would read your daily bread and then you'd do a little reflection after that. So is that how things are now? Do you have sort of a routine? Maybe you like to write in the morning, maybe you like to write late at night, or do you find yourself just sort of writing whenever you feel inspired? The inspiration when I feel inspired, because uh, there's like no set time to write. I would rather just sit down and the story writes itself. I got to hurry and copy it down and it rhymes because, you know, it's the same story from the Bible. It just I just make a rhyme and the poem writes itself. Mm. It's kind of effortless, and that's what I'm shooting for. If, 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 if I had to sit down and let it marinate and, and get writer's block, I'll just go back and look at some more scripture or, you know, or, or you know, some background and do it again and finish it, get it done. Once I get the body, then pretty much it all, it all falls into place. And I think a lot of children, a lot of families will be blessed by this book. It's titled, From the Biggest Book of Bible Stories, The Magnificent Seven Series. This is written by Devery McDowell and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can grab it up everywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Devery, thank you for joining me today and telling me all about this book. I had a really nice time talking with you. Thanks, big bro. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Square pegs can't fit in round holes. Or can they? Well, this is the name of the new book in stores now, written by Janet Record, LCSW. I'm really happy that Janet is sitting here with me now, and we're going to talk all about the book. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me all about this book, Square Pegs Can't Fit in Round Holes, or Can They? What's this all about? It's about a little boy, and the characters are all in the form of little people, like children play with. And his peg is square instead of round, so he has a hard time fitting in with all the other little pegs. The bus only has round seats, and in the school there's round seats, and there's really round seats everywhere. So he has a hard time fitting in, or can he? So that's his journey through figuring out how to fit into a world of round holes. I love it. Janet, what sorts of readers did you have in mind for this? Well, the target audience is children, but also parents of children, special needs children in particular, those that may be on the autism spectrum. Mm. But really, it could generalize to any child that feels he has a hard time fitting in. Oh, wonderful. Janet, what inspired you to write this book? What gave you the idea? Well, as a licensed clinical social worker, I was a school social worker for years, and I worked on a team called ADOS which is the Autism Diagnostic Observation Scale. Mm -hmm. And with this team, we did assessments of children to determine if they would qualify for services, special educational services or specialized services for kids on the spectrum. So I worked with a lot of these kids and occasionally also had the pleasure of being able to provide social skills kinds of training for them. Oh, that's wonderful. Is this something you've ever done before? Is this your first time in the arena of writing and publishing, Janet? 
it is the first time officially publishing a book. You know, so many materials that I used as a school social worker, I had to create myself. So I was always creating little stories, but nothing on this scale. How long of an endeavor was this for you? Well, the truth is I got the idea years ago while I was working on this team, and it just kind of simmered for a long time. And then when I was playing with my grandchildren and the little people, it kind of formulated further. But I didn't really sit down and work on it until I retired in 2017. And then I wrote it almost in one setting because I'd, I'd had all of these ideas. And I see this is illustrated by Jim Record. Can you tell me about that? My husband is a high school art teacher. And one of his favorite forms of art is cartooning. Hmm. So I asked him to collaborate with me and just kind of gave him a general idea of the kinds of pictures I wanted, and he took it from there. What was that moment like for you, Janet, when that day came? You got the first physical copy of Square Pegs Can't Fit in Round Holes, or can they? What was that moment like? Well, you know, I, I did this because it was fun to do, and the most fun was collaborating with my husband on it. But when I actually had a nibble and got this published, it was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Now that you have a taste for publishing, do you think you want more, or do you have plans to maybe write another? Probably not. I have some ideas, but I have so many other things that I'm invested in mm. that I, I won't say absolutely not, but not necessarily. When it comes to writing, what happens if you get writer's block? You sit down to write, but the words aren't hitting the page. How do you get past something like that? Well, you know, in the case with this book, the ideas were already there. And by the time I got around to sitting down, they, they were just spilling out. Mm. So if I wrote another book, it would probably be the same thing. I'd get an inspiration. I'd let the ideas swim around for a long time. And by the time I sat down to write it, I think all the material would be there. It would just be a matter of putting it on paper. So you said this was a great collaboration with your husband. Were there other people around you who knew you guys were doing this and they could be there to kind of cheer you on and motivate you along the way? No, I really didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to be disappointed if it never got published. So I didn't share that with anybody, but I did really want to get the message out of this little boy's journey to not to deny his squareness, because he is unique and his squareness is to be celebrated, but just so that he could round out his edges when needed, when he wanted to fit in. Mm. Then he could go home and just be his wonderful square self. I know a lot of people are going to love this book and get a lot of benefit from it. It's titled, Square Pegs Can't Fit in Round Holes, or Can They? This is written by Janet Record, LCSW. It's published by Fulton Books, And you can grab it up anywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or Google Play or at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Janet, thank you again for joining me here and telling me all about your work. I had a really nice time talking with you here tonight. Well, thank you. My Dad is the Greatest at Playing Monster. That's the new book. It just hit stores. It's written by Christy Windle. And I'm really happy to have Christy right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about this book. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me all about My Dad is the Greatest at Playing Monster? Well, you can definitely expect to see the playful side of fathers. And in the book, you'll see how the dad is just interacting with his children and how the little boy is telling the story from his perspective and how great he really does think his dad is, and he's basically just telling that to the audience as you read it. Hmm. I understand that this is a story that you took from things in your own life. 
Yeah, actually my, well, he was then six years old. My son came to me one day uh, after playing football in the yard with his dad and was telling me how great daddy was at playing football. And I'd heard that statement so many times from my boys. And I just looked at him and I said, you know what, buddy? I said, that would make a really great book. And so I just kind of put that idea in my desk. And, and a couple of years later, I decided to do something with it. And then that's what basically you see is that larger than life image of how little boys view their dads. Mm. Would you call this then a children's book? Oh, for sure. Yes. Mm. Yes. Sounds like it's really great for families, too, altogether. Yeah, I think so. My hope is that it would inspire dads to be more playful and to just know that their children really do think they're great at so many different things. And so hopefully it would inspire families just to interact and and read it together and then maybe play together and build that family togetherness. Wonderful. Christy, is this the first time for you when it comes to writing and publishing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Congratulations. That's such a big deal. You know, so many people out there say, someday I'm going to write a book. And not many of them actually do. So when you actually do it, that is a big thing, Christy. So did this take you like forever to do being your first one? Not really. I actually just graduated last spring from Liberty University. And I have a minor in creative writing. And so one of the writing prompts in one of my classes is to write a short story or, or something like that. And so I asked my professor if I could actually do this book series. So I actually have four of these already written for that class. And so when I initially started the publishing process, I already had the book written and I had to do so many things for that class. So I had a lot of it done. Probably the hardest part of it was the illustrations and mm. just conveying what I wanted each page to look like. So that, that was probably the most challenging part of the publishing process. But the story part wasn't difficult this time. I'm sure it'll get that way more in the future, but not this time. And there's nothing like seeing that finished product, the thing you've been working on for all that time. And Christy, what was that moment like for you whenever you got that first physical copy of this book in? What was that like? Yeah, actually, when I first got my copies in the mail, it didn't actually seem real at first. And it seemed the most real when I actually gave a copy of the book a few weeks later to my husband as a Christmas present. Uh, that was a very emotional time because it's pretty much inspired by my husband and my children and what a great dad he is. And so when I gave him the book, it was a very emotional time and it, it actually seemed more real because I actually gave it to another person and it wasn't just me looking at it myself. We were looking at it together and it just really solidified that I actually have a book mm. that I wrote and put this work into and I get to put it in someone else's hand and especially it being my husband's hand. It was very, very special and emotional. Mm. Well, I think a lot of families are going to love this book. I encourage my listeners to go check it out. It's titled, My Dad is the Greatest at Playing Monster. It's written by Christy Wendell. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing and you can get it everywhere like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and down the street at your local bookshop. Well, Christy, thank you again for coming on the show tonight and telling me all about my dad is the greatest at playing monster. Thanks again for chatting with me. Thank you for having me. 
Joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Dr. David Crystal. Doctor, thank you so much for joining me tonight. You're welcome. It's great to have you here. It's really exciting. You have a new book out right now. It's titled An Amazing Fish Story. So, David, can you tell me all about what readers can find here? Well, I love to tell stories to my children. I have five children, and I think it's important as part of their education that I can just lay down in bed with them and invent a story. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stories I tell my children has to do with fishing and fish. I don't know why that is. <laughs> I like the beach, I guess. And now we're busy telling stories to my grandchildren. Mm. I have 10 grandchildren. Now, David, before writing An Amazing Fish Story, had you ever written or been published? No, no. I told stories, but I never wrote them and had them published. I wrote that story and illustrated it five years ago, and it just sat there and sat there, and finally I spoke to a cousin of mine whose wife published the book, and he helped me find the publisher, and I'm very happy with the results. Hmm. Did it take you a long time to write and illustrate and then put through the publishing process? Actually, the writing and illustrating didn't take me long at all. But to find a publisher, I waited a long time, mm. and I couldn't have done it without the help of my kid cousin, who had done it once before with his wife. I mean, he knew where to tell me to call. It was very simple once I found a good publisher. Mm. What was it like then once you finally got that first hard copy in after all that time of working on it, and you got to hold this thing that you made, David? It's very nice. Again, it's the kind of story you can tell children before they go to sleep. And at the end of the book, you see the bottom of what is a geological time scale. The little fish is at the bottom, and next there are lizards, alligators, mammoths, mammoths, cows, and then finally a little boy. And it took 500 million years for the development of the human species once the fish left the water. And, you know, I give the fish a little bit of a personality. I give them a name. And I think it makes it easier for children to relate. In fact, one of the people I gave the book to told me that their son walked through a store that had fish tanks. And he said, look, there's Henry in the tank. I really felt very happy about that because he was relating to the story that I had written. Mm. David, what are the chances you'll be writing a follow-up, a sequel to An Amazing Fish Story? Well, again, I have a complete story, but I have not illustrated it and wrote it. I just keep telling it. And to give you an idea of how much fun it could be, do you know how to catch a giant squid? I have no idea. Do you know what their favorite food is? Well. They love whale burgers. Huh. So the first thing to do is you have to get a boat and go out into the ocean and catch a whale. Oh, wow. And cook the whale, the meat, and make whale burgers. And then you have to get back out in the ocean, and you have to drop in the middle of the ocean was where the giant squids live at the bottom. And you have to drop your hook and sinker with the whale burger on it right down to the bottom. And as luck would have it, I hit a giant squid right on the head. 
Wow. He was sleeping. And when he woke up, he says, I smell whale burgers. <laughs> and he sure did. And the next thing you know, he ate it. And I caught this giant squid and brought him back home. He made some calamari. Mm. I know a lot of people are going to really love this story. And I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's titled An Amazing Fish Story. It's written by Dr. David Crystal, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can find it everywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And David, thank you again for joining me here at the show tonight and telling me all about the amazing fish story, and now I know how to catch a giant squid, and I thank you for that. Thanks again for your time. Thank you very much, and I'm looking forward. Maybe one of these days we'll meet sometime. Book of Keys 2, written and referenced by a man returning to the child's faith. That's the name of the new book. It's out in stores right now, written by Zachary Zolkowski. I'm really happy that Zachary is talking with me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Zachary, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. Zachary, can you tell me all about what's in the Book of Keys 2? Well, it's a testimony about the power and mercy of Jesus Christ. The book contains theology, it has a little bit of eschatology, and it's really centered around the concept of human vengeance and how to give that up. Hmm. Zachary, what kinds of readers do you think would really be into this? Christians who are trying to fortify their faith and maybe uh, read another work by another Christian, just to kind of strengthen their faith and maybe even challenge it a little bit. Maybe people believe in a certain way, but they'd like to know what other people believe. And I think that it's really important that Christians have study materials available. So that's kind of my target reader, but also individuals who are kind of lost and looking for some source of hope. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a little bit of vengeance in their life against other people, and maybe their life is just kind of spinning in a circle, and maybe they just want to find a pathway to a real source of hope. And this book is very much so for them as well. Mm. well Zachary, I'm curious, how'd you get the idea to write this? What sparked you? Oh, it was shortly after I finished the first book and had it published. I had a little bit more I'd like to write down, and it just led to a whole series of thoughts. To be honest with you, I wrote the first one. It was just completely random. But by the end of it, I really think that Jesus helped me write it and get it into a workable concept. And I just basically mimicked the concept of the first book into the second one, and it turned out really good. Hmm. It's really interesting to me you say the child's faith. What's the child's faith? Well, the child's faith is actually the answer to vengeance. It's kind of difficult to explain, but we as adults, we think totally differently than a child would think. Mm. But at the same time, Jesus is trying to lead us back into the simplicity of how a child thinks to have that kind of faith. Because we, we as adults, everything we see, we're pushed and pulled around like the wind. And Jesus was trying to bring us back into the boat to have that peace and that calm in the storm. And when you get that first copy in, that physical copy in, after all that time, Zachary, what's that moment like when you finally get to hold this thing you created? Oh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's just, it's an overwhelming experience that you were able to get something together. I had a fantastic editing crew with Christian Faith Publishing. Mm. They're really easy to work with. And just holding that book for the first time, it's an amazing experience. Mm. Have you thought about maybe writing more and publishing more after this? 
Absolutely. I have a couple chapters done in the third book of the series, and maybe after the third book, I might switch it up. I got a few more book ideas, but I'm definitely interested in continuing writing. So, you know, going through the writing and publishing of books, you learn an awful lot along that journey, Zachary. I'm sure you know that as well as anybody. Do you have any advice now that you could offer to those listening who are just starting out in this whole thing? Absolutely. Don't give up. That's the worst Mm. thing you could do. Pray fervently for help and insight in what you're trying to do and put your heart, soul, might, and mind into your book. The only thing I would say is don't try to be perfect. Let God be perfect because if you go down the road of perfection, it just, it eats you up. But if you put your heart, soul, might, and mind into a book, writing it out, putting it all together, you're going to do very well. Zachary, do you ever get something like writer's block? And then how do you get through a roadblock like that? Yeah, definitely, definitely get writer's block. But what what I find for myself with writing books is sometimes I just needed some time off of writing and just kind of within the Christian life, there's a lot of meditating, a lot of thinking, a lot of question asking, a lot of looking for insight within other Christians. And maybe even the world would give you some insight because the Bible is about good and evil. It's a lot of everything coming together at the right time. Mm. Well, this book is surely going to encourage and inspire a lot of people. It's titled Book of Keys 2, written and referenced by a man returning to the child's faith. It's written by Zachary Zolkowski and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. And of course, you can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, Zachary, thanks again for coming on the show here and, and telling me about your work. I had a really great time talking. Yep, thank you very much. To God be the glory. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 